0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you guys here today. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm glad you, you are uh, a part of this service today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and go to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be at today as we continue our study through the book of Acts together. How many of you uh, remember playing a game as a kid uh, called Hide and Seek? Anybody like the game Hide and Seek? Yeah. Uh, When my kids uh, were little, I've got four kids, Bailey, Bryson, Brooke, and Blakely. When they were little, we didn't just play hide-and-seek. We came up with our own game called hide-and-scare. And And so uh, dad would hide, I would hide, and uh, the four of them would, you know— uh, really hesitantly walk down the hallways and into the bedrooms and and uh, I would obviously hear them coming and right before they found me, I would jump out and scream and they would scream and yell and laugh and wet their pants and and uh, as soon as it was over, they would say, "Can we do it again you know and so we would and and that was just a great game for us and and then I would have my nieces and nephews over and then they would play the real hide and seek that you know and uh, my my nephew Trey uh, would take the boy and they would hide and the girls would, would go and that was kind of the teams. And uh, my nephew was like varsity level hide and seek player. Like like some people hide behind the car. Trey hides in the transmission and he, like, he's like a ninja. I don't know how he did it, but he just did, and he found these places, and so the boys would hide, and the girls would look and look and look and look, and they couldn't find them, and, and they would get frustrated, and they would be like, come out, come out, you know, he would finally come out, and then the boys would, would brag about it for the rest of the day and, and about how good their spot was, and, and really, to this day, like years later, they brag about it, and my uh, my nephew's six foot six now, so he, he can't hide so well anymore, but uh, most of us have, have given up on the game hide-and-seek, but the reality is you still uh, really are, are, are really, really good at hiding. You're really, really good at, at trying to hide from God. And some of you have created this distance between yourself and God because you, you want to hide from him. You're, you're hiding something from others and, and you've been hiding for so long that and, and you've been doing it so well, it doesn't even feel like you're hiding anymore. And the truth is, You're lost. That's what I want to talk about today. The Bible talks about uh, various people who are lost in the Bible. And and the story that we look at today and the event that we're going to read about today is about a a man named Saul who had a lot of power. He had a lot of money. He was popular, but he was spiritually bankrupt. He was spiritually lost. And so I want us to look at chapter 9, and we're going to look at several verses here. So just keep your Bible open. Let's start in verse 1. It says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he was persecuting believers. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Let's just pause here for a second. He was viciously hunting down people who were followers of Christ, and so uh, followers of Christ were not called Christians at this time. Uh, they were called followers of the way. And so for for Saul, he was he was almost like a bounty hunter. He was trying to find them. He was trying to beat them up. He was trying to arrest them, and he was trying to throw them in jail. And ultimately, Saul wanted to kill Christians but God knows exactly what Saul is doing. God saw it. He knows who he is. And the reason why he was doing this, he he knew why. The reason Saul was doing this is because he was spiritually lost. I mean, he actually spent a lot of time learning what he thought mattered to God. No one worked harder at keeping the rules than, than guys like, like Saul. No one showed up to the temple more consistently than Saul, prayed longer or harder, or studied the scriptures more diligently than him. But he was so busy doing important things that he missed the most important thing, which was Jesus himself. Now most of us in here can relate to the feeling of being lost you've all been lost you know either driving or or for whatever reasons you know as a kid you know you probably remember a day when you reached up and you grabbed a hand or you grabbed the leg of someone thinking that it was mama And you looked up and it wasn't mama. It wasn't, you know, your dad. And immediately, you know, fear sets in and anxiety sets in. You think you're lost. And and, uh, we all went through that as a kid or or our children have done that to us. But I think many of us are, are feeling some of those same feelings that we go through as a kid. Let me ask you, what are some of the words that come to mind when you think of the feeling of being lost? When you think of being lost, some of, the, some of the emotions and words that might come to your mind are, are disconnected, panic, anxiety. You might think of you know, just the feeling of being alone, fear, confusion, feeling alienated. A lot of you are here today. You shook a lot of hands. You said hello to a lot of people. There's over a thousand people here today. But you can sit in this room, in this big crowd, and with as much interaction as you've already had, but you could still feel alone. You might still feel like you're alienated from people. When we feel lost, we, we begin to compensate for that feeling because nobody wants to feel lost. Nobody wants to feel those emotions of being alone and disconnected. And so we compensate for that. And, and one of the ways that you and I compensate for those feelings is, is just to stay busy. And so as long as I stay busy, then I don't have to think about the things that really matter. I don't have to think about the important things in life. And so we use that to, to compensate for that feeling of lostness. And, and it works for uh, uh, some of us for a season. Another way that we compensate for that feeling is, is we create walls between ourselves and other people. So we don't we don't want to get close to anyone. We don't let people really know our true heart, our true feelings, what we're really, you know, dealing with inside and so we keep people at a distance. We let those walls, you know, Uh, form and they're built up so we don't want anybody to know us and at a distance everybody looks you know great but when you're nose to nose with someone then you can begin to see one another's flaws and so we keep people at a distance or we stay busy and and uh all the while we could be dying inside we could be we could be dying in a pile of, of dead bodies and somebody could ask us how you doing and we'd say oh fine thanks We've learned how to mask our feelings. We've learned how to become fake and we've learned what it feels like to not really truly live our life. Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest or life more abundantly. But you and I maybe think that he said that I have come so that you may be confused or so that, you know, you may have to live by a bunch of rules or that they, you know, you must be fake. And it's like, we're not really living the life that Jesus is offering to us. He said that I have come that you may have life. And some of you just aren't experiencing a, a true, authentic, abundant life today. And the reality might be that you're lost. You're experiencing this, the, the, the emotions and the feelings that goes hand in hand with lostness. The good news about Saul's conversion experience here in chapter nine is that God works in much the same way. We're gonna see you know, the Lord speaking directly to him from heaven, a, a bright light. Now, God you know, probably isn't gonna shine a light from heaven on your face today, uh, but the principle of his conversion experience and his testimony is gonna be true for all of us. And, and when we look at this today, I want us to think through, have we really truly, surrendered our life to Jesus? Have we really truly experienced some of the things that Saul experiences in this passage of scripture? And so let's continue to read here in verse 3. It says, now as he went on his way, he's looking for people to throw in jail who are Christians and to kill them. And, And he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The good news about the gospel for us and what we see here, his experience is going to be unique. You're not going to uh, most likely experience these exact things. But what we are going to experience is the principle that the good news about the gospel, first of all, is that God knows who you are. He knows exactly who you are today today. One of the greatest experiences and highlights of my life happened a couple of years ago. A really good friend of ours uh, here in the church has uh, a family member who works for the Orlando Magic. And so I was on a, a vacation with my family in Florida, and uh, they gave us six tickets, you know, six people in my family. Six tickets to an NBA game is never going to happen in my life unless unless I get a discount. And so uh, they gave, them, gave these tickets to us for free. And, and just if you're taking notes, I'm the only pastor on staff that receives free tickets. So just in case you guys wanted to know that. Um, but... But yeah, so we, we get there and they just happened to be playing uh, my, my favorite NBA team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so we were pumped. My, my kids love the Cavs. We love the Cavs and, and we love LeBron James. And so uh, we got really, really good seats and, and they were near where all the NBA players uh, come out from the locker room and come onto the court. And so we're sitting there and, you know, if you've ever been to a game, you know, kids kind of go down to where you know, the tunnel is and where players come out. They want to get autographs and high fives and that kind of stuff. And so I was kind of contemplating being that, you know, older dad that goes down there and elbows kids out of the way so I could touch LeBron. But I resisted and I kind of sat there and I was just kind of watching the whole thing, just enjoying it. It was just a great experience. And all of a sudden, LeBron James walks out and I'm just like mesmerized. And everybody's just, you know, oh, it's LeBron. Everybody's trying to get autograph and high five. And he was really nice to everybody. And, and uh, he, he turns and he kind of looks in my general direction. And uh, as he's looking in my general direction, I'm just kind of looking, and then like our eyes lock. <laughs> and like he squints his, he kind of squints his eyes, and he looks up into the stands, and, and he kind of points at, at, at me, and he goes, Foothills Church? Trent Stewart? No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> that would have been so cool if he did. That would have been a really good story. That would have been awesome. I don't know what I would have done if LeBron James would have called out my name that day. I would have freaked out, right? That that would have been absolutely amazing. Now, Now, I don't know what it would have been like for Saul to be walking along the road, minding his own business, and Jesus Christ calls out his name. Like LeBron James, I'm freaking out. Jesus calls my name out, I don't know what I would do. And in fact, this is what happens to Paul. or this is, His name is Saul at this time. And, and, and what I, I want us to recognize at this point is, is that God knows your name. The Lord Jesus knows who you are today. He knows what you're going through. Every situation, every battle, every hurt, all the pain, every struggle that you've ever gone through, he knows who you are See, a lot of people think that God is this cosmic being that's up in the air and just kind of minding his own business, but that is not our God. Our God is a personal God. The Bible says that he knows every hair on your head. The Bible tells us that the Lord wants a relationship with us. He wants to know you personally, and he wants us to know him in a personal way. See, the good news about the gospel is that God knows who you are. The second thing that I want us to see is that the good news about the gospel is that God calls us where we are. And God calls to you exactly where you are. You see, heaven intervenes in the life of Saul. God is pursuing him and he doesn't even know it. God is drawing him and he doesn't even realize it. And the same is true for you and and, and me today. For some of you in the room that feel lost, the God of heaven is pursuing you. He knows everything about you, and he calls to you exactly where you are at. Now, a common feeling that people have when they're lost is is that they feel like God is distant, that God isn't listening to to them, that that God is far away. And, And you might be surprised by this, but that is, in fact, not the case. God completely understands your situation. You may feel like you're running from him. You may feel like you're hiding But the good news is he knows exactly where you are. And every single one of us, even in our sinfulness, he pursues us. And by the way, Saul had a pretty rough background. He is opposing and fighting against Jesus here. He's killing people who claim to be followers of Christ. He's got a former life of sin, right? This is a bad dude. Everybody in the room has a former life of sin. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you look at that former life and, and, and you see a life of sin and selfishness. Saul, uh, later, his name is Paul and he writes much of the New Testament and he writes that his former life before knowing Jesus is a waste. He calls it uh, a rubbish, it's trash. It, he's embarrassed by it. He, he, he knows that former life was a waste of his time but some people believe that They've got to clean themselves up and overcome various sin in their life before they can get baptized or before they can serve in the church or even attend church. And so I talk to people all the time that's, yeah, I really want to get connected. But, you know, I've got some things going on in my life that I really need to work on, that I really need to do. And and then once that happens, then, you know, I'll take that step. But, But God calls us exactly where we are. In the midst of Saul's persecution and sin, he draws him near. He reveals himself to Saul, and and he does the same thing for you today. He's not waiting for you to overcome your addiction before you give your life to him. He's not waiting for you to overcome whatever sin you're dealing with today in order to come to him. It doesn't work that way. You could never bring to God a life that would be worthy of salvation the Bible says that the very best that you and I can do is like a filthy rag to a holy God. The truth is we're never gonna be good enough. We're never gonna measure up to God's standards, but, but that's why the gospel is so amazing that he calls us where we are. And, and it's mind-blowing that the God of the universe has created us to know him in a personal way. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. The God that I know and the God that I serve, when everybody else has given up on somebody, he's just starting. And when you give up on yourself, he's just getting going. God doesn't characterize people as winners and losers. God views us as either lost or found. And my hope today is that you would begin to understand where you stand before God today. Have you really surrendered your life to him? I love the song that we've been singing. It's called Glory and Wonder. And one of the lines in it is Jesus, lover of the lost. And every time I sing that, man, my heart just beats because I I, I realize and I'm, I'm awakened to the fact that God is pursuing sinners in our life, in this church, in this community, in this world. And he calls us where we are at. And God might be calling you exactly where you're at today. You see, Saul's just minding his own business. He's, he's on a journey and a light from heaven shines down. And it's not just a bright light. It's in fact a, a, a vision of Jesus. He actually sees Jesus. And it doesn't say this exactly, but later in verse 17, verse 27, we see that Saul is telling them that, I, I saw the risen Savior. And God calls out to him, Jesus calls out to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, he, he says his name twice. And and uh, in the Bible, when, when God reveals himself to people, that's kind of what he does. In, in Exodus 3, he calls out to Moses, and he calls his name out twice, Moses, Moses. And, and it's almost like, you know, when you call out to your kids and, and uh, you're, you know, to one of my kids, I'm just like, Bailey, Bailey, come on, you know? It's, 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 it's like this idea that he's, he's in, a, in a very warm way, he's compassionately calling out to Saul. But, but he's also, in saying his name twice, showing a strong warning Like he's living a dangerous life. He is fighting against the Lord. Some of you are living and fighting against the Lord today, but he still calls out to you and and heaven intervenes. Heaven intervenes in Saul's life. Heaven calls out to him. Heaven reaches down into our darkness and into our desperation and shines a light of God's grace upon our heart. And if you know Jesus today, if you've given your life to him, you can remember that day. You can remember that experience. Maybe it was a friend that was, you know, inviting you to church, sharing her faith with you, and and uh, for whatever reasons, after they shared and talked to you and 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 showed you what it looked like to to put your faith in Jesus, you finally did, and and you remember that experience. Maybe it was a sermon, and somebody was preaching a message, and. And as they were speaking, you felt like he was was speaking directly to you. And at the conclusion of that that sermon, you knew that it was time for you to give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to him. Maybe it was a parent that just continually ministered to you and showed the gospel to you and taught you the gospel until one day, maybe as a young child, you said, yeah, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Maybe as an adult, there was a bad car wreck that kind of woke you up. Maybe there was a sickness or maybe there was a divorce or bad breakup. There was some life-altering, you know, uh, situation that took place. And God used that to really stir your heart and awaken your soul to realize that you were lost. And as a result, you saw the grace and love of Jesus. You gave your life to him. What I want all of you to realize is that heaven has intervened for every single one of you. You may feel like God's not listening you may feel like God's not answering. You may feel like God is, is, is distant. But I want you to know that heaven has already intervened on your behalf. The Bible says in, in the book of Romans, it says that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So that even in our sin, even in our rebellion, even in Saul's rebellion as he's killing Christian, Christ died for him. And so what I want you to know is that heaven has already intervened for you. Jesus has already come and, and lived a perfect life, and he's already died on the cross for your sins. And the reality for you and I is what do we do with that? What are we going to do when we're confronted with the truth of, of Jesus? And Saul's confronted with Jesus, and, 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 and Saul says, who are you? And, and Jesus says, I, I, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And he gives him these instructions to go to the city, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And he's blinded by this light; he he can't see. Doesn't eat or drink for three days. And see, I think some of us have um, all experienced trying to help somebody, and then ended up hurting them. Maybe it was a kid, or maybe it was just somebody we tried to help them, but we ended up hurting them. And and see, Saul's trying to do this for God; he's trying to to do this for religious purposes, but When he's confronted with Jesus, he realizes that everything that he's doing is is not really for God. It's really fighting against God. It's really opposing God. Can you imagine the emotion that he must have been experiencing for those three days? I've been fighting against the Lord. Like, Jesus is real. I've been trying to kill people who follow him. And, And here I am confronted with the truth. And I think when you hear the gospel, you are faced with the reality of your sin. We all have various reasons why we might question God. Something bad has happened to you. Maybe as a child, you, someone close to you got sick. Your, your, your childhood maybe was a mess and your questions range from how could a, a good God allow this to happen to me to if God really cared, why didn't he answer my cry for help? You see, we all have questions and, and I understand that a lot of us are hurting today. But the reality is I do believe God has answers for those questions, but you'll never hear them, you'll never understand them, as long as you're running from God and trying to hide from him. You'll never understand it as long as as you want to and continue to live in darkness. But when you begin to understand what Christ has done for you, when you understand that it was your sinfulness that separated you from God, and that there was nothing that you could do to repay the rebellion and the sin nature that you have. There was no life that you could live for for God to say, okay, he's a a good enough dude, let's let him in. There's nothing that you could could give to God, no amount of money, no, no, no material possession could earn it. But we can only experience heaven and forgiveness by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so God is sending Jesus to live a perfect sinless life And he dies on the cross as a payment for the debt that you and I owed God and the debt of sin that we owed. So so Jesus is dying in our place, paying for our sins. And then as he dies, he is buried. And then he raises from the grave on the third day, defeating sin, defeating death, so that when I am placing my faith in him, I'm receiving the forgiveness that can only be given through him. And then he gives me salvation and the hope of heaven and life to the fullest. And if you've never come to a place in your life where you have admitted that you're a sinner, you've admitted that you're lost and need his forgiveness and surrendered your life to Jesus, I hope maybe today you'll do that. If you've never done that, in fact, you are walking in darkness today. In fact, the Bible would say that you are lost but the grace of Jesus Christ is that he finds us where we are at, no matter what sin we're experiencing, no matter what our past is. Let's continue to read here. In verses 10 and following, we're going to see what happens after this experience. And, and so in verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go. Go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name." And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What we're seeing here is the good news about the gospel is thirdly, that that God chooses you for a reason. So all of this is taking place for a reason And God is choosing Saul in verse 15 because he was a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. You see, the reality is God chooses you in salvation for a reason. You don't just come to faith in Jesus so that you can have a great life and and have a lot of material possessions and have a blessed life and and then just live out your days. No, he saves you because he wants you to accomplish something specific in your life. And so the journey of following Jesus is discovering what that is. And going where he calls us to go and being a part of what he's calling us to be a part of. God has a high calling for Saul. God has a high calling for you. And, and Saul surrenders his life here. He surrenders his life to Jesus. He obeys the Lord and he goes to the city. He waits for Ananias. And in and, and, and all of these steps we're seeing fruit and, and evidence that, that Saul's life is being changed and has been changed by this experience with Jesus. In verse 18, he's baptized. Now this was the evidence of all evidence because when you are a Jew and you are converting to Christianity, you are converting your faith to follow a man as a disciple named Jesus. Like you are showing the world that, that you're no longer you know, following this path. You were following a completely different path. And so that's why baptism takes place after our faith in Christ. And so, you know, we, we're reading through the, the book of Acts and, and we're going to see this over and over and over and over again, that people come to faith in Jesus and then they're baptized. And there's not a long period of time before they're baptized. It's, it's very soon after their faith in Christ. Here, it's immediately he is baptized. And so for some of you, I would encourage you to read the whole book and maybe study this on your own, but nowhere do we see in the early church children being baptized or sprinkled. And the reason is because baptism is a public demonstration that I am a follower of Christ. It's a public demonstration of of the inward commitment that I have made. It's a symbol that when Jesus is buried, We are going under the water, we are buried with him. The old Trent dies, the old Saul has died. And just as Jesus rises from the grave, when I come out of the water, it's a symbol of his resurrection and the new life that I have found in Jesus. Saul experienced it, many of you have experienced it, but some of you haven't. Next Sunday, we're gonna baptize quite a few people. I would love for you to join in that celebration going public with your faith and saying, yeah, I am a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've realized at some point in your journey here, maybe today for the first time that, yeah, I made a decision and, and, and Jesus saved me. I put my faith in him, but 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 I've never been baptized. I've never followed uh, in baptism, and, and for some of you, you're going to realize that, man, I was baptized as a kid, but I've, I've, I've actually, you know, I, I, I put my faith in Jesus at a much later time, and, and I've never really done that since, and, and so if that's you, I want to encourage you to let us know that today, and, and take that step of faith, and, and to let us know by putting it on your Connect card, and put it in the giving stations, or or you can go to the care and prayer room today and just say, Hey, I want to be baptized. And, and they'll walk you through what that looks like. And, and we'll celebrate together as a church. But we see Saul surrendering to Jesus. And we see the evidence of his faith very quickly. In verse 20 here, we didn't read it. But if you look at it, it says that immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Not later, not after he went to a small group, not after he went to school he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. So he is beginning to live out his purpose immediately after he experiences faith in Jesus. For the rest of the book, we're gonna see this man preaching the name of Jesus, starting churches, and he literally, God uses him to transform the world. So we see evidence of of his faith. And so I, I just wanna ask you, is there evidence of your faith? Is there evidence of of God choosing you and and, and God giving you a purpose? Are you experiencing that purpose? Is there evidence? Have you been baptized? Is there evidence that you're walking and following this man named Jesus? Finally, the good news about God's grace is that we grow in community. So God grows you in community. The great thing about the Christian faith is that you don't just get saved and then go live on an island by yourself. You don't don't just live a stranded, alone life. No, when you become a follower of Christ, you are grafted into a community, a tribe. And and this is a group of individuals that love each other. And the, the way that God has orchestrated it and designed our faith to grow is in community, So it's in community that we experience faith and that we grow in faith and other people teach us things that we don't know and and that encourages our faith. And then we get to serve other people. And as we serve other people, God grows our faith. And and, and, and so when we see this story, we see Ananias really filling that gap in for Saul. God tells Ananias to go and to to minister to Saul and what's his immediate response? Um, God, (laughs) yeah, I know about this guy. There ain't no way I want to go talk to him. He could arrest me. He could throw me in jail. He could kill me. There's a lot of fear there, a lot of anxiety in the step that God was asking Ananias to take. And and, and the great thing is he takes it anyway. See, the reality is all new believers need a godly leader to help them grow. Every person in the room needs a godly leader to help you grow. That's why we talk about small groups all the time because our small group leaders are just maybe a, a step or two ahead, and they're going to help those in the small group begin to take their next steps of faith. And and we see this modeled all throughout the New Testament. So I, I don't want us to pretend like it's not true or it, it, it's not a reality, because if we want to grow, then we've got to submit ourselves to a godly leader that's going to help us grow. And Ananias does this immediately. He overcomes his fears, and he goes, and he actually helps Saul identify his purpose. So, God specifically spoke to Ananias and said, this guy Saul is, is, is gonna be my chosen instrument to transform the lives of, of, of people. And so he's gonna be a messenger for me. And so you can just imagine Ananias sitting down and saying, yeah, I gotta pray over you. But they also had other conversations. You can just imagine Ananias saying, man, I had this vision. It was crazy, crazy. I was scared. I thought, you, I thought we were gonna fight. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but you showed up, here. you couldn't see. And uh, so I, you know, God told me that you were going to be a chosen instrument. You were going to take the message to Gentiles. Now that would have freaked him out. Because at that time, the the gospel or or you know the the, the love of God, the the truth of God's word was was, was all confined in the Jewish people. And they were missing the boat on on taking that message to the Gentiles. And so they had become very inward-focused. And so that would have freaked him out. What do you mean, the Gentiles? Are you crazy? I don't know, what does that mean? I don't, a lot of fear there, a lot of anxiety. But he spoke purpose into his life. This is what God wants to do. This is what godly leaders do in your life to help you grow. We've asked some of you to be small group leaders and you're in a group and you're scared to death and I don't know if I can do it and I don't know enough and you know, all the fears and blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all, right? Look, every time God calls somebody to step into a new area of leadership, there's going to be fear and anxiety, but it all falls down on the reality that that we've gotta trust God. Saul had to trust God that he was gonna do this through him. God's gonna use you in much the same way. It's not gonna be because you're awesome. It's not gonna be because you have all these wonderful gifts. You may be awesome, I don't know. You may have a ton of gifts, but it's the Holy Spirit working through you that's actually gonna impact someone's life. And so Ananias, you know, he steps into an important role for the life of Saul. He helps him in his time of need. And all new believers need someone speaking into their life. And you don't have to have a master's degree in theology to do that. You just have to have a willing, submissive heart to the Lord and a plan to be able to do that. And so that's why we talk about small groups all the time. This is why we talk about the journey. This is our discipleship strategy at FC. And it starts with with base camp. This is where you understand some of the basic doctrines of of the faith and and you begin to uh, have an opportunity to connect with the vision of this church. And it's happening today, by the way you can still join us. And then there's camp two that, that really dives into your purpose, like what were you created for? So we talk about, you know, how, what personality has God given to you? What gifts do you have? And, and really helping people discover that. And then camp three, we talk about, okay, the, this is how you can begin to, to use this to help other people. and And so that all of these steps are in an attempt, in an effort to give you a pathway to grow and a pathway to connect with the Lord, because every believer needs godly leaders to help them. But but all of this, when we talk about this, it's like we, we can't make those decisions. We, we can't experience this until we admit some things. And some of you just need to admit that, okay, I, I know I need to take that step of faith and lead and, and trust God. And, and you just have to recognize that in, in that moment, you're just maybe living in rebellion. Rebellion. Some of you have never given your, 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 put your faith in Jesus. You've never taken that step and, and you've never received his forgiveness and you've just got to uh, come to a point to where you realize that you're lost. You've got to admit that you're lost before you can be found. And so, so maybe that's what God's going to do in your heart today. Maybe this message was specifically for you today and, and you feel that you are far from God and you know that your life is not giving evidence of, of a faith in trust in Jesus. And so I want to give you that opportunity to to follow him and to trust him today. Every time fall rolls around, you know, the pumpkins come out and corn mazes pop up everywhere. And it's like, uh, we got to go to a corn maze. Who wants to go to a corn maze? Let's take our kids to the corn maze. And we're all corn mazed. And several years ago, I was like, all right, well, let's go see what the corn maze is about. And so my kids were little at this time. And so we, we head out to the corn maze and we start going and we're all having fun and we're in, on this path and we're trying to find all the spots. And isn't this fun to find the spots with four and five year olds, this is great. And, and uh, so we're going around and, and then all of a sudden it's like the kids start asking, daddy, are we lost? Like, no, we're not lost, I got a map right here. We're on the path, I know where we're going. I was lost. <laughs> We kept going, and we kept walking, and we tre- kept trying to find stuff, and, and uh, they started getting hungry. And you know what happens when kids start getting hungry? They're hangry, and now they're, you know, they're, Daddy, are we done yet? Are we lost? Are we lost? No, we're not lost. I'm looking at Micah, she's like, we're lost, aren't we? are lost are not we like, no, no, we're not lost. We're gonna find our way out of here. We just kept trekking, sun goes down, now it's dark, you know. We're two hours deep into this experience. We've got our phones on, lights on. This this is not a fun experience any longer. And and uh, so we, we keep going, you know, trying to have a good attitude, the kids for the millionth time, daddy, are we lost? And I finally just broke down and said, yes, we are lost my daddy's going to find a way out. Everybody get behind me, stay close. And I just, like a running back, I just started pouring through all the corn stalks and knocking them down. And we were like, we are getting the heck up out of here. And we finally bust through the cornfield and we found ourselves on a road. And it was like this little gravel road that led to, okay, well, there's the farm. And and so we got out of there. So it was like, that was uh, an experience that I never want to experience again. And so I'm not going to any corn mazes. And I don't care who's doing it. But so there, there has to be a point to where you finally just say, yes, we're lost, but we're going to find a way. And, and, and here's the cool thing about our salvation. You, you don't find that way. God finds you. God pursues you. And he comes to us in our lostness and he says, get behind me. I'm going to show you the way to freedom. I'm going to show you the path to freedom, to true freedom life. And some of you have just never taken that step. And I just wonder if today that might be the step that he's calling you to take. With nobody leaving the room, would everybody just bow their heads at this point? And and can we just all just sense the, the weight of this moment as God is dealing with various hearts in the room? Whatever your situation, no matter what you're experiencing, how many of you would like to say today that, Trent, I, I need to admit that I am lost. Would anybody just want to lift up their hand and just put it back down? I'm lost. Anybody else? I see a couple. I'm lost. Slip it up and you can put it back down. I appreciate your honesty there. You know, that's the first step. That first step is, is admitting that you are lost. And, and here's what's cool about you guys admitting that. You didn't do that in your own power and strength today. The Spirit of God is already working in your heart for you to take that step. So that's amazing. God's already at work. He's already pursuing you. I wanna help you in, in making that step, that commitment today, receiving Jesus by faith. And you just simply say this to him today. Make this your prayer. Just say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the grave. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me today. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Take it and use it for your glory. I believe if you prayed that prayer, I believe that that God has just saved you. And I believe that the next step for you is baptism. I believe that that's not a decision that you need to make private or keep private. And so I wanna encourage you today, would you take a minute just for me as a, as a favor to me, would you take the Connect card and just write the decision that you made on that card and put it in the, the giving stations or even better, go to the care and prayer room and say, I just prayed to receive Christ. I want to be baptized. Whatever decision God has placed on your heart, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I realize that in this room there's a lot of brokenness and we all come from different backgrounds and some people are here and they feel lost. Some people are here and they feel like you're distant, but I pray that today's scripture and today's story would encourage them to know that you are very near, that you are in the midst of our pain and struggle. And I pray that you would help us to, just like the scales that were on Saul's eyes that blinded him fell off, I pray that you would unblind our hearts and our ears and our eyes to the truth of the gospel. And I pray for people in the room that should be leading small groups that aren't. I pray that like Ananias, they'd overcome their fears and trust in you. I pray that those that maybe didn't make a decision to follow you today would do so in the coming days. And Father, I pray that each of us would take a step further in experiencing life to the fullest. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.